0: The Captain Create Show with Kevin Johnson, where we punch procrastination
1: in the face. Like, share, follow at Captain Create. Hey, and welcome back to The Captain Create Show, where we have amazing conversations with the world's coolest creators. And I'm very excited about our guest today, an iconic voice actor and radio DJ legend, the one, the only Larry Kenny. Voice of Lion on the Thundercats, Count Chocula, Sonny the Cuckoo Bird. Larry, thank you so much for joining us today on the Captain Create Show. How are you?
0: I'm fine, Kevin. How are you doing? i just right. listening to my credits there. I, I love listening to my credits.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, they're well, they're well deserved. I mean, you know, I'll be honest like the, uh, you know, I'm 45. And so when I was 10 years old and Thundercats came out, I just remember, you know, laying on elbows and knees, you know, just watching that show. And yeah, never <laughs> in my life did I think I'd be having a conversation with you. So yeah, it's sort of a, a bit of a dream come true. And yeah, here we are. And here we are. I want to rewind first, though, before we get into like the meat of your career, like, let's start about like, what was Larry Kenny like as a kid? Like, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: (laughs) Well, I I had a great childhood, Kevin. I'm from a small town in Illinois. It's about halfway between Chicago and St. Louis. It's called Pekin, Illinois. At the time, it was about 18 to 20,000 people. I was born in 1947. And uh, so it, it was a great time for America, really, you know, we just won the war and Uh, All the guys came back and had great jobs, and uh, people were making more money than ever before. And uh, we were lucky. The baby boomers were very, uh, a very lucky generation. We had no worries really until the threat of the bomb came along, you know. And then, Mm. you know, know, the the nuclear bomb. Yeah. Um, But we knew it'd be okay if we just ducked and covered. That's what they told
1: us. (laughs) Yeah, just go under the desk. I remember the. (laughs) I remember even the '80s. They're like, just, just, just duck under your desk, and the nuclear bomb will, will, you know, it'll go around you. That's right.
0: Or, or they, had that, they had that film, remember, where they had a kid riding his bike, and he just dives into the ditch on the side <laughs> of the road, and he's just fine.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you're growing up, and you have this really great childhood, and then I've read that you started as a DJ at 15. Is that right, or was that a typo?
0: Technically, I was 15, because it was two weeks before my 16th birthday when I got the first job in radio. Now, as I told you, I'm from a very small town. And uh, but believe it or not, back in, in the early 60s when I was in high school, mm-hmm. they, had a radio, they had we had a radio class in high school. Had a beautiful studio, state-of-the-art at a time, you know, beautiful studio. And uh, we didn't have a, a radio transmitter, so of course we broadcast over telephone lines on a local, local radio station. But we did a 10-minute show every day from, from the high school with uh, a feature, you know, like an interview with a coach or something. And then <laughs> and then one of us would read the school menu for the day so so mothers would know what not to cook tonight and, um, and stuff like that. You know, news of the school, of course, sports. I had done that for two years as a freshman and a sophomore in high school. And then one day the uh, a guy from the local, the big radio station around, AWIRL in Peoria, Gave me a call and offered me a job, a real job. Was your, was your was voice
1: just, already deep at that time? Like at fifteen, you know, uh, you're in the middle of puberty. I mean, it had the voice change happened yeah. for you already, or where where were you at with that? It, yeah, it already had.
0: Yeah, and, and I, so I always had a pretty a pretty good voice for radio and stuff like that. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I was already a clown. I was class clown. You know, I was one of those guys right. Okay. Uh, you know, if I if I had a nickel for every teacher or school administrator or policeman or anybody <laughs> any authority like but for every time they said to me larry i hope when you grow up you find a way to make a living with your little jokes and funny voices <laughs> i guess i do have a nickel for every time i was, I was
1: told that. yeah <laughs> okay so you get this job and then okay yeah. how, how does it evolve so you're 15 you you what was yeah. that like first day on you know in the studio and, and doing like a real radio job that young
0: Oh, it was amazing. Well, as I said, I had already for a couple of years been talking, quote, on the radio, you know, mm-hmm. from the high school. But this is a whole different thing. You know, this mm-hmm. is with jingles and you know somebody going, uh, Larry, Kenny, <laughs> you know, those, <laughs> the old kind of jingles. Mm-hmm. It was fantastic. I, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the the first minute I was on the air, I I changed my uh, decision about what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Up to that point, I had been a sports writer. The local newspaper. Interesting. Since I was fourteen. <laughs> yeah. So
1: you wanted to be well, a writer, just, and then you got that opportunity, and it totally shifted your direction. Turned
0: it right around immediately within within ten minutes. And I really liked the sports writing too. I mean, I I would uh, cover the local high schools basketball, football games, things like that, and mm-hmm. take a camera with me and take pictures of the of the game, and then go go back to the to the uh, newspaper office, write my story, turn in my film. And go home and try to get my homework done in time for school the next day, uh, and I really loved that. I had my own byline in the paper, you know, stories by Larry Kenny and everything. But then that one day when I uh, and and even through that, I was still doing the, the radio at school, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, that first day that they put me on the air, and I knew I was getting paid for it, eighty-five cents an hour, mind you. Wow. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was a. It was a. First, it was a two-hour show. Called School Scope. It was me and another high school kid, uh-huh. and we would talk about the different high schools, you know, all around town, and who what team was playing, who, and you know what was going on at this school and that school. It was really just kind of a, a professional version of what I've been doing for two years anyway at, at my high school. Yeah, I, I did. It was a two-hour show, but they paid me uh, three dollars a week <laughs> <laughs> because because they gave me an hour for preparation time. <laughs>
1: You were rolling, man. You were rolling into uh, in the sixties, man. Are
0: you kidding, man? I was living high. I'm, I was really doing well, and then and then that, that and then that uh, evolved into uh, weekends as a disc jockey, and then. Then after a year or so, it evolved into uh, filling in for uh, for the disc jockeys when they were on vacation doing their shows, you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then, and then finally, I finally got my own show.
1: Was that your big break? I mean, what, what would you say? What would you call your big break? Was it the age fifteen WIRL or you know was it I Was it WHN? Where where would you say this well, was the the big shot for me?
0: Well, you know, it sounds corny to say, but they all were. And each time, of course, each time I got a new job, it was it was thrilling. I think, like anything else, though. Probably that first day on the air was, you know, I'll never be able to repeat that feeling in my in, in my mind. Um, although I loved what I've done, I think like many other things, it's you never you never can capture the first time.
1: You know what I mean? Absolutely, I totally understand what you're saying. So yeah. you, you move from that, and like I said, you go to WHN, you have miss in the morning, a long run there, yeah. and then you, you jump into bowling for dollars. What's that like?
0: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Well, let's see. I had been in New York for uh, two years as a disc jockey mm-hmm. at uh, WHN and uh, had done some stuff already with, with uh, Don Imus on the air. And um, then I get this call. My agent calls and says, hey, somebody wants to, you know, wants to put you on a game show on TV. So I went and talked with them about it, and then uh, turns out I did it for three years. It's called bowling for dollars. People would come on the show, local people, you know, would come on the show and and, and bowl. It was at the the, the the bowling center in Madison Square Garden. Wow. And uh, they, they would win money and prizes depending upon how many, you know, how well they did. You know, mm-hmm. you win four strikes in a row, you win a brand new car. You know, you roll three in a row, you win maybe a uh, I don't know, a nice set of jewelry or something like that. So I did that for three years. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of work. I was already doing uh, the morning show at WHN from 5.30 to 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And then uh and then the TV show was five nights a week. So we taped the TV show every Friday. And um, that was a pretty rough day because I would I would leave my house at four in the morning to get to in the New York for my radio show at 5:30. Do the show, and then at about nine thirty, I would start putting makeup on for for the television show while I was still on the air. You know, in between records, putting
1: my makeup. On. Wow, multitasking! <laughs> and they
0: they would they, they always had the car waiting for me, and I would rush down to Madison Square Garden, and we would tape five half hour shows. And by the, by the end of the day, I was I was pretty wiped
1: out. All right, so yeah. you got this great radio and even TV career bustling there. And then, you know, let's talk a bit about auditions.
0: I had been doing commercials. You know, I started doing uh, Count Chocula in the late 70s and Sunny the Cocoa Puffs Bird in the late 70s. But I had been doing commercials all along ever since I started in radio.
1: Were you working through an agent and they would approach you with information or did you yes. find auditions? No, that was, that's, that's the big
0: difference. As you know, in the smaller markets, You don't have an agent, and there really aren't that many big advertising agencies. You just either do the commercials uh, for your own radio station, you know what I mean, or or um, for the local TV stations or whatever. But once you get to uh, to New York or Chicago or LA, you pretty much have to have an agent, you know, because this is where almost all the work is done, and the competition is incredible, you know. So you can't just walk into an ad agency or or a audition place and say, here I am, you know, use me. How did you you get
1: your agent though? Like did you already have one because of the radio stuff? Good question. I'd never been asked that
0: before. Let me think. Um, They actually contacted me. I was, I was in Chicago and I already got the call from New York that I want to come to New York and work. And I said, yes. Mm -hmm. And then about the next day I get a call from this, this guy who was an agent from New York, but he was in Chicago Hmm. and somehow got my number at what I called the radio station. Mm-hmm. And he said he was an agent and he'd like to represent me when I got to New York. And I said, sure. And it turns out it was the the best agent um, of all of them, I think. Uh, John Buckwald and Associates is my agent. And I've been with him now for almost 50 years.
1: And, and you didn't know at the time uh, how significant a decision that might be. I didn't, I knew you had to have an agent. You
0: know, But I quickly found out that he was not just an agent, he was a super agent. He was Howard Stern's uh, agent, and he had a lot of actors. Uh, so it was pretty cool to walk into the into the lobby and see where actually, I recognize most of the people sitting in the room, you know, either TV or radio or whatever. And I, I thought, well, maybe I have made it now. You know?
1: That was like, I might have arrived. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm that- I'm worthy. I'm worthy. <laughs> let's talk about Count Chocula and Sonny the Cuckoo Bird because we're still in the 70s. Yeah. So, you know, did you audition for those? Or were they were they offers? How did, how did it work for those two roles?
0: <laughs> no, I auditioned for both of them. You have to audition for almost everything. Okay. Uh, there may be times when an ad agency decides that they've used you on something before and they think you'd be great on this particular new commercial then they'll just call you directly, but that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so, yeah, for, for both of them, you, you know, one day you get a call from your agent and uh, he says, uh, okay, tomorrow at ten, you need to be at this particular case uh, location, and uh, you're going to be reading for whatever you know. In this case, uh, say you're going to be reading for they, they. want a new, they want a new voice for, uh, for Count Chocula, let's say. So that that next day at ten o'clock, I would go to the designated place, and they hand you a script and uh, give you a little while to look it over and all that, and tell you what they what you need to know about the, the character or the commercial. Well, actually, when I took over. Um, for Count Chocula. Uh, I didn't have to come up with a new voice. In fact, they wanted they wanted people wanted someone who could who could uh, uh, duplicate the voice that Jim Dukas had been doing Count Chocula for probably since I, when I was a kid. Okay. And he was uh, he was uh, retiring. Yeah. So they, they audition a couple hundred people, you know, and then pick the one they want. Same thing for same thing actually for uh, for Sunny the Cocoa Puffs bird. Uh, the guy who had been doing him for years and years uh, mm-hmm. moved down to L.A. to do some TV and movies. And uh, so that left that open. And and again, they wanted someone to, to get as close as they could to his voice because it was established already. The kids knew the voice. They didn't want to change it, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's how that works.
1: And, and so, you know, what did it feel like stepping into these sort of already established iconic characters? I mean... What was it like that now? I'm I'm the voice of Count Chocula and some of the, the Cocoa Puffs. No,
2: I, am no, get away from me. <laughs>
0: that was cool, you know. Like I said, it was I was replacing in both situations mm-hmm. guys that I had grown up watching and listening to, you know. Um, so you know that was that was kind of a treat, but it was also very humbling, you know. Mm. Uh, I felt a lot of pressure that I put on myself, Turned that I didn't have to because I could do the job, but. Um, yeah, anytime you replace somebody that's um, either very well known or has been doing something for a long time. But I figured if the if the people from the ad agency who were doing the auditioning, if they felt I sounded enough like him, then the kids would. You know, and that turned out to be true.
1: Now, when you were a kid, did you do funny voices and stuff like this? Is something that you knew you already had in the bag? I mean, because you know, radio oh, yeah. versus you know these characters are totally kind of a different animal. Yeah
0: yeah well yeah I was I was always that kid you know the class clown and uh, you know I was I was the funny guy at school yeah and, and I was uh, yes I was always doing voices my mom told me that uh, that's almost from the time I could talk I would I would um, mimic cartoon characters and famous people on TV and things like that so I had always been doing it and in fact even when I first started in radio when I was 15 after I had been there for you know, Uh, enough time that i felt i could branch out and spread my wings i started using character voices and cartoon voices
1: on my show i read that they would like join you like you'd be doing the primary dj role and then these characters would like come alongside you as if they were in the booth with you
0: yeah i would either knock on the desk and somebody's (laughs) at the door you know well let's see who's at the door why it's (laughs) president nixon hi there larry how are you that kind of
1: thing that's awesome So, we moved from Count Chocula and Sonny the Cuckoo Bird, and these are people that you've replaced. Uh, what was the first character that you originated? Was that Thundercats, or was there something before that?
0: You know what, you're asking great questions. I, mean, I usually get the same questions.
1: We just kind of want to know more about behind the scenes, like instead of the standard press stuff, we're like, you know, yeah. how, did you, how did you craft these amazing and iconic characters?
0: Yeah, I like that. I, I really like the, the, the questions you're asking. I would have to say probably some of the characters on Thundercats. Okay, uh, because they were characters I didn't make up. The ones I was doing on the radio for years and years, um, and and in, and in nightclubs, I did stand-up
1: comedy in New York too really were, um the, oh, no, let's, oh, yeah, put, yeah. let's put a pin on yeah. that like what was that like i mean because <laughs> like that's a whole another thing i've done stand-up a few times i've done a couple open mic yeah. nights and you know that's where it ended <laughs> for me um yeah. but it was it was fun but i mean that's a very difficult thing to go in front of an expectant room of people and trying to make them laugh how was your experience it is
0: it is especially when when my main thing and what i'm known for is is not stand-up comedy you know mm-hmm. it's you know a lot of times, you—I I know people in the audience would be saying, "I heard this guy on the radio. I don't. How's he, I don't think he's that funny out." Of you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, it was, yeah, it was a whole different thing, and I, I did well at it mm. uh, in New York. I, I was working a lot in New York, and then, I, as a matter of fact, I got—I got, um, I, I got a, I an offer to do the Playboy Club circuit. But back in the at this this we in the 70s here, mid 70s mm-hmm. playboy clubs were still going you know mm-hmm. and uh, all the big comics would play play the lounge at the playboy club and stuff and and i got an offer to do that but to do it i would have had to travel and of course i was still doing my radio show every you know every morning mm-hmm. and then i started doing the tv show and I, so i couldn't i couldn't travel around the country and and, uh, and I got kind of tired of just, just working in New York, you know, doing small clubs in New York. Plus I, I didn't love it as much as I did the radio, you know, that was your wheelhouse. Uh, yeah. So uh, it, like I said, it was, it was fun to do for a little while, but, uh, and I was never really great at it either. Had I been great at it, you know, if I thought I was great at it, I probably would have stayed with it, but it was just a little, little venturing out and see what's out there
1: gotcha all right i gotta play this sound clip for you um just because the the nerd in me you know it goes back to my childhood i'm gonna play this for you here you go okay all right
0: thunder 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 thundercats oh
1: Want to talk about Thundercats? This this was like ginormous for my childhood and many people that I know. And so, give me a little bit of the backstory for that. Like, I mean, this was another audition. How how did that? How did you come to be on Thundercats?
0: Oh yeah, it was an audition, like everything else Mm -hmm. uh, at this at this level. You know, uh, you have to audition. And um, yeah, I remember the day. um, Like like I told you before, my agent said. uh, Um, like tomorrow at 10 o'clock you go to such and such a casting place and then you'll be auditioning for that. So you go and you do the audition and then you forget about it because if you sit around wondering, Oh, did I get that? Did I get this other one? You'll drive yourself crazy. You know? So you just kind of put it out of your mind, and then if you get it, you'll know within a couple of days. And if you don't hear with them in a week or so, you, you know you didn't get it. So when I got to the audition for Thunder Cats, of course, uh, it was the first time I had seen pictures of the characters and they handed the synopsis of what the show was about, what each character was about, and what it would look like, and all that kind of thing. And now the Lionel voice, uh, I didn't have to come up with, quote, a voice. That's just my voice, you know it's a little more dramatic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, as, I mean, as I talk to you, I might be saying something like "Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel commanded, mm-hmm. but on TV, it has to be "Sword of Omens, come to my hand. I, Lionel commanded, <laughs> a little
1: more dramatic. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> I was transported just then.
0: <laughs> now the first, so that was my, I didn't have to really create that
1: voice. It's just my voice.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and then interestingly enough, when I, when I, when we did a new Thunder Cast in 2011, I think it was, mm-hmm. I played Lionel's father, Claudus. Right. And that worked out well because my voice naturally had gotten older, if you will, mm-hmm. more gravelly, you know, mm-hmm. so that worked out. I think it was probably Jackal Man, the first time I had to come up with an all new voice for a character. Mm-hmm. And I recall uh, I'm sitting there waiting to go in and do my audition. I'm thinking, I'm looking at the, the drawing of him. You know, he looks like a jackal, which is a. Kind of um, uh, nasty, you know, you think of a jackal, like you think of, a, um, I don't know, a wolf or a coyote, where they're kind of sneaky, you know? <laughs> so I, and kind of wily, you know? So I I had that in mind. And I immediately thought of one of my favorite uh, shows when I was a kid, that was Rocky and Bullwinkle. Oh, yes. Yeah, they remember the Snidely Whiplash. Yes. He was a character. And he was a, a typical villain, you know. I'm going to tie you to the railroad tracks, you know. <laughs> Hello, Nell. Mm, get you. So I put, I took that voice and made it a little creepier and a little weirder, and uh, it came out as, "We must get the Thundercats." Yes, for <laughs> Jackal Man.
1: That's awesome. So wait, did you do you like come up with these things before the audition or is it like you show up, you get the script, you see the character and then on the spot, you're like, oh, man, I got to come up with something real quick. Or did you have time to really kind of plot out in your mind? This is how I'm going to approach this character.
0: <clears throat> yeah, usually when you get the email from your agent uh, telling you in what time to show up and where for the audition, uh, they will have something that a little clip that the uh, producers sent to them saying, here's what we're, here's what we're looking for. Mm-hmm. The character is uh, fifty to seventy years old. He is, uh, he's a, he's a he's a master sergeant, so he's kind of gruff. He's this and that. You know, tell me, I'll tell you all those kind of things about it. And then you take that and you try to mold that into the character you want it to, want him to be.
1: Did you ever get to an audition and the prep work you had done, like, okay, this is the voice I'm going to do. And then you walk into that room and all of a sudden you're like, "Mm, scrapping that, I'm going to go go this direction. Did you ever like do an audible like at the site?
0: Well, not quite like that. But yes, I've had situations where let's say you've gone to an audition and you you won the audition. Mm -hmm. So now it's three days later and you're at the studio with the people who are producing it. You're meeting them for the first time and all that. And, and a lot of times they'll say, we liked your audition. Uh, you did like five or six different versions for us. And here's the one we like. They'll place for you sometimes the one, you know, your take that they want you to reproduce. Mm-hmm. Well, one time, I guess it's happened more than one time, but only a couple of times. I would win the audition, go into the studio for the recording session, and they'll say, hey, uh, here's, the, here's your take. And they play it. And it's not me.
1: Oh, <laughs> another it's, it's, <laughs> it's another actor that didn't win. Yeah, and they,
0: they just got them mixed up. You know, they hired the wrong guy. And
1: uh, <laughs> how, how are you feeling? Are you like, funny. well, we're just not going to mention that. <laughs> we're just going to go with it.
0: Well, yeah. Looking well, looking back at it, I recall one of them. They said, "Don't worry, it's yours is better anyway. We like what you did." Because in both cases, they said, uh, "Well, let's go. Let's go ahead and lay you down. Let's have you read it. Let's not record you." And then if, um, if we decide we want, still want the other guy, we'll, you know, we'll get him in here too. But um, in both cases, I think they, they liked me better than the guy that they actually wanted to hire.
1: <laughs> so it seems like in the 80s, you were like dominating this space because it wasn't just Thundercats. I mean, you were Bluegrass on Silverhawks. You had Dolph on Tiger yeah. Sharks. I mean, you were doing a bunch of different things. I mean, did you feel like the stuff you were creating in that time was going to become iconic or define an era?
0: You know, there's no way you can know that. Um, what we did know, when I say we, I mean, the, the cast and the crew, we did know, as soon as we had recorded a few episodes, that we had a quality product. Mm. The writing was fantastic. Um, uh, the show had incredible music. Everybody remembers the music. Yeah. And um, and we had a hell of a cast. We had some, some of the top actors in New York there. And so we all knew, yeah, this is we're going to be able to create something good, but there's no way you can ever, ever know if the public is going to think it's as good as you think it is. Uh, And other things come into play too, you know, like, like the network it runs on, do they promote it very well? Do they put it on at a good time for, you know, for your intended audience to see it? There's so many things that that come into play that you cannot ever guarantee this is going to be a hit, you know, but we knew pretty much with Undercast that it was going to do very well.
1: But when did you know that it was going to be bigger than you thought it was going to be? Like, I mean, you knew it was a quality product, but I mean, obviously at some point there had to be a revelation like, whoa, this is, this is bigger than we thought.
0: Well I'll tell you, the show had been on the air, I think at least a year. And it was, it was about a month before Christmas. And I went to go shopping, Christmas shopping for my kids Mm -hmm. at uh, Toys R Us. and. The last time I had been there, which was a few months earlier, they had things like Ninja Turtles and He-Man and all that, uh, like one row for each each of those big shows. Mm-hmm. This time I walk in and there's four aisles that are Thundercats, nothing but Thundercats. Whoa. You know, uh, one aisle with all the character, the um, action figures and then an aisle with the Cat's Lair and the Thunder Tank and all that kind of stuff. And that's when I told myself, "Oh boy, that show is a hit because they're selling selling a lot of toys for it." And uh, so that's that's pretty much it. when I knew that um, it was going to be, uh, you know, a big big show. So I walk in, I'm looking, oh my like, gosh, look at all this Thundercat stuff, and there are two young guys, I don't know, maybe five, seven years old. Uh, standing there looking at the, the action figures and as i walked by them i heard one of them say i'm gonna get uh, tigra he's the coolest one <laughs> so I, of course i had to stop and i looked at him i said hey why don't you get Lionel he's the lord of the thundercats he's the one who goes thundercats hello and they looked at me like i was crazy <laughs> so i just walked away and as i walked away this one little kid that, Turns the other and says,
1: He doesn't even sound like Lionel. <laughs> wow, they had no idea that you no, were in the I presence did. of the voice. <laughs> I think he
0: would have peed his pants if he had known. But I just laughed and walked away. I thought it was so funny. That's- he doesn't even sound
1: like Lionel that's incredible you know i i had yeah i definitely had the the thundercats lair and i had the lion o figure where you flick the back and he flings his sword and and the whole thing i remember my parents had a a vcr this was 1985 so vcrs were sort of just coming in vogue and i remember pausing frame by frame and trying to draw lion o because i was interested in animation at that time even at 10. Wow. So it's it's yeah it's an incredible achievement and you know it's funny throughout the like you said the decades there's been remakes I mean they did the 2011 reboot uh, even a, a 2020 uh, with the Thundercats roar but also Family Guy let's talk about that like they they wanted yeah. you to come on and do some some voiceover kind of spoofs of that how did that come about
0: yeah uh, I guess uh, I guess Seth MacFarlane just decided to, he wanted. To, uh, the real Lion-O, if you will, because they, he he had done Liano on on Family Guy a couple of times. Mm-hmm. He had done the voice. They did the little parodies of of Thundercats, and 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 Seth MacFarlane did the voice. And of course, he's a genius. He sounded great. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but this particular bit that they they wrote for it, they wanted the wanted the real Liano. And I remember my son, who was about I don't know fourteen at the time, something like that. Mm-hmm. He said, "Dan, you got to do this," and I said, "You know, I don't think so because I've seen Family Guy; it's brilliant. It's funny as hell. I love it, but it was, you know, you know, Thundercats was back in in an era where you didn't say certain things on television. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, it was much. It was much. um, How do I want to say? Much more (laughs) tame. Exactly. Good word." Mm So so I said, you know, I, I don't I don't think I should because I'm very protective of the legacy of uh, Lionel and Thundercats. I don't want to do anything that's going to, you know, make fun of it or going to denigrate it or, you know, cause it any, any ill. Mm-hmm. So I said, I don't. Uh, and Tanner said, well, why don't you have him send you a script? So I said, good idea. They sent me a script and I said, absolutely not. I'm not going to do this. <laughs> And if you saw the uh, thing, you saw the piece where it's sure The two guys from Family Guy, Peter and Quagmire, mm-hmm. you know, they're in San Francisco and they're in the car driving, looking around. And one of them says, uh, Peter, I think, says, Boy, I bet you find some strange couples living together in this town. Man. And it, it immediately goes to a scene inside an apartment where Lionel is just kind of standing there staring off the window. And Shitara walks in. And she says, uh, well, what you doing? He says, uh, nothing, just, uh, no. and she says, uh, well, I'm going, to, I'm going to the bathroom. So she goes to the bathroom. Lionel takes the sword of omens and points it toward the bathroom. Yep, yep. Says, sword, of, <laughs> sword of omens come to my hand. Give me sight. <laughs> At that point, Snarf walks by and says, what you doing, Lionel? And, and Lionel says, Oh, uh, nothing. I just, you know, um, you want to get stoned?
1: <laughs> so it was your son that convinced you to, to actually finally pull the trigger and do it. Yeah,
0: he, he said, he said, I said, I can't do that. I don't want the kids to. He said, Dad, the kids are now 35 years old. The fans of the original Thundercats are, are adults like me. Now you see, they love the show. And uh, he says, and for another thing, if if you watch it, you'll find out that all the big stars are dying to get on the show to do character voices, you know. A lot of big movie and TV stars. It's the thing now. I said, Okay, I'll do it, but if I get any fan mail and really, I've hurt people's feelings and never happened of course
1: everybody nah, loved me yeah i mean i can tell you as a huge thundercats fan and family guy fan it, it definitely did not tarnish or denigrate the the original work you did so you know why, <laughs> wise choice and no. thanks to your son for for making you do that because you know it sort of <laughs> cemented it further so it, yeah. let's talk about like when you were doing a show you would do multiple voices i mean I, it was funny i was just watching you know an old thundercats episode last night with my family mm-hmm. and um and I was like, there's only six people on the credits for a show that had a whole bunch of people on screen. And so you often would not just do one voice. I mean, you would do multiple voices for whatever show you were doing, correct?
0: Right, right. We all did. As you said, there are only five or six of us in the cast. And we did hundreds of voices, you know, in the yeah. three years it was on.
1: How, how, how did that work? Like, were you, you know, you're in the booth and you've got to do, like, are you, you, you talking to yourself, essentially, and bouncing back and forth? Or are you doing them in one run at a time? Like, what was the process? Well,
0: they, they gave us, when those when those things happened, like when one of my characters was talking to another one of my characters, mm-hmm. um, they, they always gave us the option. You can do it, what we call real time. In other words, do one voice. Answer in the other voice didn't do did the answer in the other. Or you can just record all of one character and then record all the other characters. Which did you prefer? Uh for some reason I en- I enjoyed doing it uh real time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, if Lionel was talking with Jackal Man, you know, he'd say, um, oh, all yeah. right, Jackalman, we know what you're doing. And we know where Mumra is too. Oh no, you don't. I know yes I do. No, you don't. <laughs> Back and forth like that. I got a kick out of it. But some, some people prefer to do it, just one, all one character.
1: Was it hard all to switch and no back and game. forth? Like, a, Not for me.
0: Not um, for me. I don't know why. I just, um, I could do it, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So you also did some video game voices. I, You know, one of the, some people may not know this, but Grand Theft Auto 4, you were, I guess, one of the, uh, the DJs on the radio station for The Beat, I believe. Is that correct?
0: Yes. Yeah, that's right. Um, some FM station, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember tooling around in a car and that, and I had no idea. I was yeah. like, "This Larry Kenny's back there? Is that Lionel? Like Count kind of Chocula? Like that's So, I mean, you've done a bunch of different voiceovers for you know video games and stuff as well. Yeah, well, that's
0: become a big, a big avenue, you know, in our business. Uh, you know, another way to make, to make a living is doing, um, doing video games. Uh, I did, yeah, I did um, uh, Grand Theft Auto Four, as you said. And I did one called Mafia 2 oh, a bunch. of the most recent one is uh, Red Dead Redemption 2. Oh, that's a great where one. I play that's a huge character hit. named uh, J.B. Cripps is my character. No. Oh, God, you're a guy, you know?
1: <laughs> that's awesome. Now, these days, when, you're, you, know, when you recorded stuff in the, like, the, the 80s versus, like say, 90s and 2000s, did you ever get to the point where you were doing it from home or remote, or was it always at a studio of the producer's choosing?
0: No, always in the studio. Okay. It was always done in the studio. And we were always there together, too. Uh, these days in our business, for some reason, you tend to work alone most of the time, even if there's four or five people in the cast. Mm. Either the other, the other people will be in Los Angeles or Chicago or somewhere, and you're in a little booth in New York. So you can hear each other, but you can't see each other.
1: Is there something or, lost in that, like when you when you're not yes. physically present? Yes, I think there is. I, I
0: think actors naturally do a better job when there's a bunch of them because we like to show off for each other, you know? Mm. I mean, anytime you get a bunch of actors in a the room, they're suddenly they're all doing character voices and they're all telling jokes, you know? which is true of most groups, I guess, but especially especially actors and voice actors because, we wanna, you know, one up the other guy. But I, I, I enjoyed it more when we were all in the studio at the same time. It's just uh, more cohesive to me.
1: Because again, I think about lion and the voice is only one part mm-hmm. of who lion is. It's also sure, yeah. delivering those sure. lines, not just in a voice, but with the emotion and the acting behind it. Yeah.
0: Well, th- that's kind of why I think um, when they hold auditions, the people on the other side, they know how to have uh, you do uh, takes in each category. For example, uh, when you're in their auditioning, they might say, OK, now read this line for me like you're really angry. Now read it like you think it's funny. Now you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So that so that, so that they can get a pretty good idea of of your range in terms of, of quote acting. Like you said, yeah, we love his voice, but how's he going to sound when like when we have him having fighting? How's he going to sound when like, you know what I'm saying when we when when he's just waking up from sleep? Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of try to think of that and then put you through your paces uh, in those in, in those areas to see how well you see how well you can act.
1: Did you ever pass on a role that you regretted or a project? Wow, another good question.
0: Yes, the only time that I auditioned for something and won the audition, but then re- then they turned down the job. It was for one of those early energy pills. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, now you have energy drinks. Yeah. Back in the 70s or probably early 80s, um, there was a, a couple of products where you, you took these pills or powders, and, and they gave you more energy. And I started thinking about it after I won the audition. I said, "You know I don't I, I did a little research because we didn't have computers back then, but I called around, and uh, those things were not known for a fact to not be healthy. I, I mean I mean, nobody back then knew what they might do to you, you know, mm-hmm. except all they did was make you nervous and you didn't eat as much. <laughs> so I turned that down, but that's I can't think of anything else that um,
1: that I turned down, okay." Now, what would you say? You know, having this this amazing multi decade career, what would you say has been the hardest part of your career, the hardest part of the job as a voice actor?
0: Finding a place, a flat surface to fill out your contract after the sh- after the job is done. <laughs> that's, a, that's an inside joke, really. You'll know because you've been in a lot of recording studios. I'm sure. There's there are never. There's never any flat space yeah, like a, a table <laughs> or, any, or a desk or anything. It's all piled up with tape recording. Well, back, back in the day, yeah. tape recording, you know, and, uh, recording tape and all that. Uh, so actually, there was a kid, uh, high school kid one time that wrote to me and asked if he could follow me for a day. That was going to be a... Uh, a his, his um, project for some kind of a school paper, you know, mm-hmm. could could you follow me around for the day and see what I do? And then ask me questions. About it? I said, sure. And after, at the end of the day, he asked me that same question. He said, what would you say is the hardest part about what you do? And I said, well, you, you saw me all day. You saw that the hardest thing I had to do was find a place to put my contract down so I could sign. <laughs> he started writing that down. And I said, no, 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 I'm just kidding you, but it is true. <laughs> What, what that's are, not the hardest part
1: what is the hardest part though if you had to talk to a young aspiring voice actor yeah. you know what would you what would you wish that you knew when you were starting out
0: maybe to believe in yourself it's it's hard I think when you're young and you're just starting out doing something like I said I had, I had done voices all my life when I was a little kid I did cartoon voices and and things like that. But that's a different thing when you do it in the playground, you know, or you do it, you know, to pick up a basketball game or something, make, Mm -hmm. you know, make people laugh. I think for me, what helped was um, doing a lot of different things. You know, I've done, I've done radio, I've done television, game show. I've done record albums. I've done um, (sighs) films, television shows. So, and I even sang on a couple of records. So.
1: Is uh, that right? I think that I didn't know. Uh, uh,
0: Yeah, well. (laughs) Don Imus's brother, Fred, was a country songwriter. He had a couple of hit records, his country songwriter. So he wrote a couple of things for, for me to do and for Don and I to do together. I've got three, or four records in the closet that were, <laughs> they weren't that good, but uh, you know, we were having fun, for RCA, we recorded a whole bunch of
1: stuff. What would you say is the primary thing that drove you throughout the duration of your career? Where did you find inspiration? I I never wanted to be rich.
0: I never wanted to be a big star, you know, and I always wanted just the kind of notoriety, if you will, or success that I have in terms of um, uh, how people perceive me and everything. For example, uh, even when I was, when I was doing the television show and every, you know, every night in New York for half an hour, people are watching me on television. So they, you can't go anywhere without people recognizing you. I mean, Walking down the street, and a cab driver will blow the horn and you go, you know, and all that. <laughs> and and sometimes you'd be out to dinner. I'd be out to dinner with my wife and daughter. and People keep coming up, you know, and and um, but that, that never bothered me. But it made me realize how lucky I am and glad I am that I'm not this big star that people are going to tear their clothes off of, or are people going to follow them around on the street. You know, my, my level of of stardom, if you will. Has always just been people saying, Hey, I like your work. I listen to your show, you know, or I saw you on TV and I, uh, or I love that video game you did. And it's not like, Oh, please, please, can you, you know, do something for me? Mm-hmm. So the, I like that level of stardom, if you call it stardom, where people recognize you and appreciate your work, but it's not that overwhelming grabbing at you and stuff like that.
1: You it know? doesn't actually impede your life, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I never wanted that. I never wanted to be extremely wealthy. I just wanted to be comfortable and make a good, uh, good living. And that's what I've done. H-
1: have you ever gotten tired of people being like, Hey, do the voice or Hey, do this? I mean, does that ever get old? No,
0: it really never does because that's why I started doing it in the first place.
1: That's awesome. Well, uh, where can people find you online these days? Like, where, you know, if somebody wanted to connect with you online, where would they look?
0: Uh, my Facebook page, Larry Kenny, of course. hmm uh, there are several Larry Kennys, like just like there are several of any name on there. Uh, when you, if you're looking for me, mine will be the picture um, uh, that where it has um, my characters all around me. You know, like on a banner. We have Lionel and all that. So that's the one you recognize. I'm on Instagram, but I don't really know how to work it yet.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are you working <laughs> no. on any new projects, or what's what's going on?
0: Well, nobody is right now, of course. Um, <laughs> but I'm not retired at all. People ask me if I'm going to, I say, I I always say, I'm going to keep talking. I might as well get paid for
1: it. Right. You You can do that until the end.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And plus, you know, I can do, I can do what I want to do. I can accept the jobs I want and and say, sometimes say, no, I'm a little tired. I don't want to do that now. You know, it's one of the good things about getting to a certain age. People say, well, you know, he's old. (laughs) Shouldn't push him too far. (laughs) Uh, The Skittles commercials, you know, the Skittles commercials. Absolutely i'm the guy at the end feel the rainbow taste the rainbow
1: whoa that's awesome
0: <laughs> well, that's what i'm doing now
1: do you ever like record from home do you have like a home studio as well or do you it's still all in the studio you know for whoever's producing the the work
0: i do not have a studio in my home but i do have a computer of course mm-hmm. uh, with garage band on it and i do have a, a very good microphone it's not air quality i can i can send auditions to people the quality is good enough that I can send auditions to my agent's office and he can send it to them. But I do not have a studio, and so I still have to go in the studio to do things.
1: Okay, so for auditions you'll do it remotely, but then if you win the audition, you'll you'll go in and actually lay down the actual tracks at, at that exactly, for the Exactly, exactly. Understood. Yeah. Well, Larry, thank you so much for taking this hour with us today. We really appreciate it. We we love your work and we look forward to hearing more of you on the air and, you know, again, wish the best to you and your family. Thanks again for joining us today.
0: Well, thank you, Kevin. And again, you asked me a lot of questions I've never been asked before, and um, you do a great job.
1: Well, thank you so much, Larry. Stay safe out there, okay?
0: Okay, buddy. You too.
1: That's a wrap for today's show. Thank you so much to our guests, and thanks to you, the audience, for tuning in and listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Go ahead and send that link to one of your friends and let them know what they're missing. If you'd like to support the work we're doing here on Captain Create, please consider a small donation. There's a link in the show notes. Anything that we collect will go towards purchasing equipment and resources so we can continue bringing you amazing conversations with the world's coolest creators. Thanks again. We'll see you next time on the Captain Create Show.